Alrighty, keeping this in a spiritual vein, I have a question for you. Will it be the Mets or the Red Sox? That's it, the Mets, you're right. Good choice. Good choice. Alrighty, man, let's look to the Lord in a word of prayer that He might add His blessing as we look to His Word. I know of no other topic that I would prefer to speak on than friendship. Let's ask God to illuminate His Word as we look together at it. Let us pray. Father, we thank You today for the reminder that friends are friends forever in Jesus Christ. And You've made a way so that the relationships that we build here we may never have to give up. And for this we are grateful. We would pray today, Lord, that as we look at Your Word, that You would illumine us, that You would help us to see the qualities and characteristics of true friendship that by some means we might incorporate those elements into our life. God, we love you and we look to you for help now. In Jesus' name, amen. Just got my uh, latest copy of Sports Illustrated, and in there there was an article on Keith Hernandez. For those of you who know, who follow baseball at all, you'll know that he is arguably the finest first baseman to ever play. Many have said that. He is, uh, was the MVP in 1979 in the National League, batted 345, had over 100 RBIs. He batted the next year 325, and he's won the Golden Glove for like the last five or six years. He's just a phenomenal player. Keith plays first base for the New York Mets, which, as you know, is, and we've just talked about, are going to the World Series, which is the highlight of anyone's career. Keith makes a cool $8.4 million for five years, so he's not in any way poor. You would say in every way Keith Hernandez would have it all. He's been everything in his career. But let me read you something that Keith said in this magazine article. Everybody thinks because you make a lot of money that you have a lock on happiness. It's not true. I most fear boredom and loneliness... Life after baseball. Life after baseball equals loneliness. He followed that statement up with another when it said in a recent phone call to his older brother, he cried out to him, I don't like being by myself. There are 10 million people in New York, and it's so lonely. Now, there are many conclusions that we can draw about what Keith Hernandez is saying. Not the least of which is, is that in spite of all of his fame and his fortune, and his status as a New York Met, he's not happy. He's not fulfilled. He has it all, but he really doesn't feel like he has anything. But I want you to look and listen more closely to these words again, and I want you to listen for the cry of a man longing for companionship and friendship. Listen again. Everybody thinks because you have a lot of money that you have a lock on happiness. It's not true. I most fear boredom and loneliness, life after baseball, because life after baseball equals loneliness. You see, on the field, Keith has at least, quote-unquote, eight other friends. In the clubhouse, he has at least 25 other, quote-unquote, friends. In the arena or the stadium, he may have as many as 50,000, quote-unquote, friends. But outside of baseball, Keith Hernandez feels as though he really doesn't have a friend. 
a companion, someone to share his life with. Keith Hernandez does not have a true friend by his own admission. You know what? Keith Hernandez is not alone. Recent statistics and surveys say that eight out of ten of us suffer from bouts of loneliness and depression because we don't have an intimate friend. Eight out of ten. I don't know how that goes in the Christian community. That may be a lesser number of us struggle with that. But the fact is, gentlemen, a large percentage of our population suffers from the lack of intimate friends. And I want to contend this morning that the reason men and women, you and I, suffer from a lack of friends is because we don't really know how to be a friend. You see, he that hath friends must what? Show himself to be friendly. Now, that's a debated passage of Scripture. Matter of fact, if you have a New American Standard, it'll translate different than that. But I contend and I, I believe that within the framework of that verse, there is the truth that holds the, the key to developing friendships. And it's the fact that if you are going to have friends, you've got to be a friend. And the kind of friends that you will attract are the kind of, is the kind of friend that you are. He that would have friends must show himself to be friendly. I want to talk to you this morning out of 1 Samuel chapter 18, and I'd like you to turn there if you would, please. In 1 Samuel chapter 18, we have what has been called the eternal type of friendship that shines throughout the ages. We have the account of David and Jonathan, which was alluded to by Don earlier. If God were going to paint a picture for us and teach us what real friendship is, He would undoubtedly turn to 1 Samuel 18 and say, I want you to look at two friends. And I want you in their lives to draw out the qualities that made their friendship so special. And that's what I want to do today in the little bit of time that we have together. I want to give you ten qualities that ought to characterize our life. If we're to have friends, you see, usually we when we talk about friendship, we want to talk about what the other person should be to us. Right. We want to talk about what to look for in a quality friend. I want to reverse that and turn it turn it around today and suggest to you that what we ought to be doing is becoming the kind of friends we ought to be. And by so doing, we'll attract men of like character and nature and thereby will develop true friendships. So the thought this morning is not what kind of friend can I find, but what kind of friend can I be? Because a, a friend will attract friends. Quality number one of the ten characteristics that ought to qualify our relationships is found in verse one. And let's read it together. First Samuel 18 and verse one. Now it came about when he had finished speaking to Saul, that is David, that the soul of Jonathan was knit to the soul of David, and Jonathan loved him as himself. Bit of background. Chapter 17, David fought Goliath and won. We all know that story. Jonathan had never met David to our knowledge prior to this verse in chapter 18. Never had met him. This young man walks out onto the battlefield, faces the giant and wins, proclaiming that this 
ungodly, uncircumcised Philistine cannot taunt the armies of the living God. And he goes out and he wins and he comes before Saul. Because if you'll read the end of chapter 17, Saul didn't even know really who he was. He had talked to him earlier, but he didn't know his father's name. He didn't really know who this young man was. And he's calling him in by his captain of the guard, Abner, to find out who David is. And in the process of David's conversation with Saul in the king's tent, the Scriptures tell us, that when he had finished speaking to Saul, that the soul of Jonathan was knit to the soul of David. The first characteristic of becoming a quality friend is based on the word commitment. I think this is the root and foundation of friendship. Now you say, how do you see that in verse 1? The word was knit is a Hebrew word which means to be bound as by an unbreakable chain. It literally means knotted with an indissolvable bond. So, what's, what's happening here? Jonathan's heart was bound as with an unbreakable chain to the heart of David. He was literally committed to him for life. You say, how in the world can that be? He never met him. He didn't know him. How could that happen? The other thing you want to notice about that word was knit is that, is that it's passive. And if a verb is passive, what does that mean? It means that the individual had nothing to do with that action. He was having something done upon him. If a verb is active, he threw the ball, that would be something that that he did. But if he was thrown the ball, he did not do anything to receive it. It was just tossed to him. In this case, Jonathan didn't do anything. And I would suggest to you what the situation here is, is that friendship is a gift from God. That real, honest-to-goodness friendship is not something you predetermine. You just don't go up to somebody and determine, I'm going to be a lifelong friend. In real friendship, we're passive. In the sense that God knits our heart to the heart of another man, and He does that for His own reason, not because we choose. And furthermore, the sort of commitment that is born in real friendship is the kind of commitment that never, ever breaks. You see, we have a lot of relationships and we call a lot of men friends, but when the going gets rough, we're nowhere to be found. And you've all been there, right? In your moment of need, when you really needed that person, they weren't there because of a lack of commitment. Or until you make a mistake, you know, you're, when you're throwing the ball well, when you're doing well in school, when you, you got the nice car, when you have the things that men aspire and delight in, you have all the friends you need. But make a mistake and you'll find out who your friends really are. Someone has said that to find out who your friends are, go ahead and make a mistake. And those who are left are your true friends. The New York Times sent out or had a contest and the the objective was to define friend. And they had all these people write in giving the definition of friendship. And the one definition that won was this one. A friend is someone who comes in when all the world goes out. The kind of commitment when everyone else would leave me because of my failure... My friend, by virtue of his commitment, will retain and stand strong beside me. Several years ago, when I was at Liberty, we had a very high-profile figure default in his commitment to the ministry by committing adultery. And literally, literally, 
everyone turned their back on him. I mean, ministries across the country, when they found out that this individual had fallen, did not desire to speak with him, immediately just exiled him. Totally. And the word at liberty was for Dr. Falwell to totally take him out and remove him, never to be seen again on our campus or in any other form of ministry. And I never shall forget the commitment with which that man was shown by Jerry. As Dr. Falwell, in spite of all of the peer pressure, many people stopped giving to the ministry because of this. Stood by his side, strong in commitment, continuing to to give blessing and, and kindness and friendship. Now, obviously, this man could not continue in the kind of ministry he had prior to his default. But the point is, everybody deserted him but one. And I'm telling you, gentlemen, the first quality in real friendship is commitment. If you really are a friend, you want to be a man who's committed to that person. Good times, bad times, thick and thin, victory or failure, you're committed. I want to show you something else. Notice verse 3. Notice what the Scriptures say. Then Jonathan made a covenant with David because he loved him as himself. A lot of times we don't communicate outwardly our commitment to one another. Three or four times in 1 Samuel, the Scriptures say David and Jonathan made a covenant. They verbally externalized what they felt internally. A lot of times, guys, we're not real good about telling somebody, hey, I'm committed to you. I love you, I'm interested in you, and I'm telling you so because I want you to know you can count on me. And I think it's a quality of friendship as evident in the life of Jonathan and David that we ought to externalize, verbalize by our words the fact that we're committed to one another. You have a friend, have you ever told him that you're committed to him? That through thick and thin you're gone where he's going? You ought to. It's a biblical characteristic of a true friendship. Commit yourself, in this case by covenant, and I'm suggesting by your words. Tell them, hey, I'm committed to your life and to you and what God has for you. The second characteristic, apart from commitment, is found in the first verse as well. And in the third verse also when it says, And Jonathan loved him, David, as himself. The word Hebrew word there means affection, not unadorned affection. He cared for him. He had feelings for him. Gentlemen, this is an emotional response to an individual who he cared for. That gets all thrown out of whack in our culture, doesn't it? I mean, if you say you have affection for some guy, then you're a fruitcake, right? You're a little bit funny. And that's warped and perverted, and in in a very real way, that has denied us the, the privilege of expressing our love for one another. There's nothing wrong with hugging someone or putting your arm around them or just letting them know in a physical way, hey, I care for you. Affection. The word friend comes from a German root word, which means to love. A friend is someone who you love. The word for friendship in the New Testament, phileo, is love. It's one of the three words for love. There's nothing wrong with affection. One of the characteristics of a true friendship, a godly friendship, is not only the lasting commitment, but the fact that you express affection for one another. Hey, I like you. I'm glad you're my buddy. I might 
pat you on the back, I might rub you on the head or whatever, but I'm saying to you, not in a perverted way, I care for you. And we need that. That's what Jonathan was doing for David. Quality number three, not only commitment and not only affection, but thirdly, and I like this one, notice what it says in verse 4. And Jonathan, immediately after having expressed his love and affection for David and made this covenant with him, and Jonathan stripped himself of the robe that was on him and gave it to David with his armor, including his sword and his bow and his belt. Jonathan stripped himself. The fourth characteristic, or the third characteristic, excuse me, is self-sacrifice. In a real godly friendship, we ought to be striving to be self-sacrificing. The, king, the king's sword was something that had been handed down to him. It was his finest possession as a warrior. Back in the days of the, the Old Testament, the chief means of distinction was your fighting posture. And the, the, the way you dressed and the, the chariot you rode in and the quality of your horse and the nature of your robe and your helmet and your sword were all indicative of the the preeminence and the status that you had. And undoubtedly, all of those things were valuable to Jonathan, but it says in verse 4, he did what? He stripped himself. He took all those things that had value to him, or at least those things that meant greatly to him, he gave them to his friend who he cared for. And gentlemen, the principle here is, is that we ought to be sacrificial in our giving to our friends. There are things that we care for a great deal. Would we part with them? Would we give things up for a friend? We need to. Too many times friendship is what we can get. You know, how much this guy, you know, he, he can loan me his car. This guy has a little bit of money and he, he can uh, make a way for me to have some good times and fun and frolic. But the whole perspective there is reversed because the true nature of a friendship is giving. And it's not always giving in a material way. And I would write this down. This is my favorite principle in the business of friendship, and that is this. A true friend will go along just for the ride. Whether or not they have anything to benefit by, by going with me, whether it is fulfilling their purpose or their schedule or their goals, they will go with me just to go along for the ride. They'll sacrifice their time, their commitments, their desires and their goals for me because they want to be with me, because they want to give to me, they want to encourage me. True friendship, gentlemen, is built on self-sacrifice. And a real friend, I believe, goes along for the ride. It's not what they can benefit from this, but only what they can give. True friendship. Characteristic number three was self-sacrifice. Number four, turn to chapter 19. Flip over a page. In the meantime, Jonathan or David has gone from the hero to the heel in the eyes of Saul. Saul hates David because of David's success. The people of Israel are now lauding David's accomplishments. And Saul hates that. And in the process of that hatred, he attempts to do David in. And Jonathan comes to his side on many occasions to help him. And now notice what it says in chapter 19. Now Jonathan, 
or excuse me, now Saul told Jonathan his son and all his servants to put David to death. But Jonathan, Saul's son, greatly delighted in David. Interesting word, greatly delighted. The word means, now get this, the word means to have emotional feeling or affection which results from an object's character. David had character and virtue. And because of his character and virtue, Jonathan greatly delighted in him. He had emotional feelings. He loved David because of who David was. And I I want to suggest to you that in our life, in our aspiration to seek friends and to have friends, not only ought we to be committed, not only ought we to be loving and affectionate, not only ought we to be self-sacrificing, but we ought to also have the kind of character that attracts men to us. See, it was no accident that Jonathan loved David. He delighted in him because of the quality of his life. Guys, you want to have friends? You go out and become a godly man, a man with character and virtue and the kind of qualities that will attract men unto you. See, that's the key to friendship. Friendship is not going out and finding men to be your friends, but being the kind of man that is worthy to be a friend. Jonathan greatly delighted in David because of the kind of man that David was. So the fourth characteristic is that we need to have to, to have friends is we need to make ourselves attractive. Not physically, internally. The kind of person we really are. Someone has said that the acid test of friendship is whether or not you're happy just being with that person. Do you have to have a third interest to enjoy being around that guy? Do you have to go play tennis? Do you have to go play racquetball? Do you have to go for a ride? Do you have to go participate in some activity? Or do you just like being around that person enough for who and what they are? Real friendship, gentlemen, is is found in those relationships where who that person is and who you are is enough to sustain that relationship. You don't have to do anything. You could sit down and just be buddies because of the kind of quality of your life and their life. Characteristic number five. Not only if we're going to be quality friends must we be committed, affectionate, self-sacrificing, and attractive, but fifthly, we must have a genuine concern for our friend. Notice what it says in chapter 19 and verse 2. Jonathan told David, saying, Saul, my father, is seeking to put you to death. Now, therefore, please be on guard in the morning and stay in a secret place and hide yourself. And I will go out and stand beside my father in the field where you are, and I will speak with my father about you. If I find out anything, then I shall tell you. The word I want you to notice is in verse 2 when it says, Now, therefore, please be on guard. The word please indicates genuine concern. Please don't jeopardize your security and your safety. Please go hide yourself because I am concerned for you. Please don't do anything that would inhibit your continuing to live. Turn over to chapter 20, verse 3, and you see this again. Chapter 20 and verse 3. David had come to Jonathan to speak to him about his status and his situation. And David vowed again, saying, Your father knows well that I have found favor in your sight, 
And he has said, Do not let Jonathan know this. Why? Lest he be grieved. Jonathan undoubtedly had genuine concern for David as that was evidenced in his conversation. Please hide yourself. And because even Saul, his father, knew that to attack David would grieve the son because of his genuine concern. Translators tell us that the word that the Indians used for friend had to be translated by six words, six or seven words. Do you know what the word for friend was translated as if you were an Indian? Check this out. One who carries my sorrows on his back. The word for friend for an Indian was one who carries another's sorrows on his back. Someone who genuinely is concerned for you to the point where he will help bear your burden. A friend multiplies our joys and divides our sorrows. He's genuinely concerned for who we are. If I'm a friend, I'll be genuinely concerned for my friend. Number six. In this same passage in 1 Samuel chapter 19, reading in verses 4 through 7, Jonathan spoke well of David to Saul his father. And said to him, Do not let the king sin against his servant David, since he has not sinned against you, and since his deeds have been very beneficial to you. For he took his life in his hand and struck the Philistines, and the Lord brought about a great deliverance for all of Israel. You saw it and rejoiced. Why then will you sin against innocent blood by putting David to death without a cause? You've got to understand what's going on here. Saul hates David with a passionate hate, wants to do him in. Jonathan, rightful heir to the throne, goes to his father Saul in behalf of David and intercedes. I think the sixth characteristic of true friends is a friend will intercede for me when I need it. Isn't it self-sacrificing? Not only is he one who shows genuine concern and bears my sorrow, but he will intercede for me. How many times in our life would we need someone to intercede and go to bat for us? David couldn't do for himself what only Jonathan could do. David couldn't go talk to Saul and tell him about the, the tremendous things that he had done on Saul's behalf and for the nation of Israel. Saul wasn't listening. But Jonathan could. And I want to suggest to you, gentlemen, that a true friend will intercede for their buddy. will go to bat for them. The guys in a jam needs help. Someone has said that it's easier to make enemies than friends because there's less commitment involved, less work. So if you have a friendship, you're committed to this person to the degree where it might inconvenience you, but you're going to go out and because of his need, you're going to intercede on his behalf. Notice something else here, and I think it's the seventh characteristic that I have noted, and that's in verse 5. And what did Jonathan do? He promoted his friend. I think real friends promote one another. If you want to be a real friend, you promote your friend. You notice what would be real easy, Saul and his, or Jonathan and his father Saul are standing there and Saul's starting to rag on David. It would have been real easy for Jonathan to say, yeah, you know, he, he is kind of a, a high-profile personality. He's kind of egotistical. He likes being up front. It would be real easy, wouldn't it? You didn't hear Jonathan say any of that. What Jonathan did was represent David in all of his strengths to his father. And I would suggest to you that a real friend promotes his friend. See, you don't want to be talking about my friend in a negative way in front of me. 
Because my whole objective in life and commitment to this friend is to promote him, to encourage him, to strengthen him, to exhibit and exonerate his strengths. I'm not going to tear him down. True friends don't do that to one another. Gentlemen, let me ask you a question. Isn't it true that we all have weaknesses? We do, don't we? And isn't it true that we have real friends? We usually expose our weaknesses to them. I mean, if anybody knows our weaknesses, our friends do, right? And in spite of that, they love us. But even more importantly, they promote us in spite of what they know to be deficient in us. And many, many times in my experience, I've heard too many people nail their friends to the wall. I mean, it makes you want to say, hey, I thought you guys were buddies. Yeah, it may be true, gentlemen, but a true friend does not tear down his buddy. Jonathan undoubtedly knew some things about David that were not... David was not perfect. We see that in vivid color when he sinned so greatly with Bathsheba. David undoubtedly had faults and failures, and yet Jonathan, his friend, not only interceded, but he promoted David. He said, Saul, don't you remember? Look at verse 5. Do not let the king sin against his servant David. Verse 4 says, because he took his life in his own hand and he did this to the Philistine. And he brought great deliverance to the people of Israel. You saw it and rejoiced. Then why in the world would you want to do this harm against him? Promote your friend. Characteristic number seven. Characteristic number eight, verse seven. Jonathan called David after this conversation with his father. And Jonathan told him all these words. Characteristic number eight, I think, is honesty. We were to read chapter 20 and we won't. But the first eight verses is an intimate conversation between two men. And it's utter honesty. Notice in chapter 20, verse 8. David said, therefore, deal kindly with your servant, speaking to Jonathan now, his buddy, for you have brought your servant into a covenant of the Lord. Why is he calling him servant? Because Jonathan's heir to the throne. You have brought your servant into a covenant of the Lord with you, but there, if there is iniquity in me, put me to death yourself, for why then should you bring me to your father? Verse 8 tells us that Jonathan and David were intimate and honest with one another. I mean, they're laying it out. And David's saying, listen, if there's something wrong with me, please tell me. Because they were in the habit of communicating very openly and honestly. Jonathan told all that he heard to, John, to David, his friend. And guys, I think the, the eighth characteristic that I would point out in this relationship is honesty. These guys were honest with one another. They didn't have a lot of things hidden. They were talking straight and openly. And guys, I would suggest to you that if you have to want to have a quality guy-to-guy relationship, you need to develop the characteristic of being honest with your friends. Too many times we hide stuff. And we don't really get down to the nitty-gritty. And here David and Jonathan are down to the nitty-gritty. I mean, it's so nitty-gritty that David's life depended on it. The ninth characteristic. And these next, next two are awesome to me. It's found in chapter 20. The ninth characteristic of a true friend is loyalty. Did you know that Jonathan's friendship with his friend David cost him his throne? Now think about it. You are the next in line to the throne behind your father Saul. Saul dies, you become king. But because you protect David... 
David becomes king in your place. See, if David dies, he can't be king. And what does Jonathan do? Jonathan sacrifices his throne for his friend David. And I call that loyalty. Notice verse 30 of chapter 20. Then Saul's anger burned against Jonathan because Jonathan had continually represented in a positive light his friend David and said to him, You son of a perverse and rebellious woman. I mean, here's loyalty in the face of maltreatment. Do I not know that you are choosing the son of Jesse to your own shame and to the shame of your mother's nakedness? Now get it. Saul had it straight here. He was telling the truth. Verse 31, For as long as the son of Jesse lives on the earth, neither you nor your kingdom will be established. For Jonathan to represent and promote and intercede on behalf of his friend David was to give up the throne. For Jonathan to continue to represent his friend to his father who hated him was to endure tremendous mistreatment and abuse. True friends are loyal no matter what it costs. Did you get that? No matter what it costs, guys. No matter what it costs you, true friends are loyal because they're committed in a tremendous way. The tenth characteristic and the last one is found in chapter 23. And the tenth characteristic of a true friend is you're an exhorter. If I'm going to be a real friend, I'm going to exhort. I'm going to encourage. And there's two elements to exhorting, and I want to show you them both. Number one, we find in chapter 23 in the first three verses. Or excuse me, in 16 and 17. And Jonathan, Saul's son, arose and went to David at Horish. And, in, and did what? And encouraged him in God. This he said to him, Do not be afraid, because the hand of Saul my father shall not find you, and you will be king over Israel, and I will be next to you, and Saul my father knows that also. One of the qualities of a true friend is he's an encourager. He helps bear one another's burdens. He encourages his friend. The Scriptures tell us in Ecclesiastes chapter 4, verse 10, that two are better than one because if one falls down, the other will encourage him by lifting him up. True friends encourage one another. Lastly, the, the last aspect of exhortation, and this is a hard part, guys, is true friends challenge one another. They confront one another. Proverbs chapter 27, and we'll close with this passage. Turn, if you would, please, to Proverbs chapter 27. Now listen, you want to be a true friend, right? You've got to have godly characteristics. To be a true friend, you've got to look like a true friend. You've got to act like a true friend. And to act like a true friend biblically results in you having true friends. And the last characteristic is that of exhortation. Not only do you encourage one another by saying, Hey, buddy, things are going to be all right. Things are going to make it. I'll lift you up when you're down. I'll encourage you when you're hurting. I'll help you when you need my help. But lastly, I'll not only do that, I'll challenge you, I'll stimulate you, I'll confront you. Because chapter 27 of Proverbs says, verse 5, Better is open rebuke than love that is concealed. Now notice verse 6, which all commentators link to verse 5. Faithful are the wounds of a friend, but deceitful are the kisses of an enemy. What does it mean, faithful are the wounds of a friend? In what way would a friend ever wound another? 
friend. You notice what it says in verse 5? Open rebuke is better than hidden love. How many of you know about Lenny Bias, University of Maryland basketball player, All-American? Do you know that Lenny Bias had a buddy who knew that Lenny was about to go out and party that night prior, right, right uh, after his draft to the Celtics, taken in the first round, lauded by everyone as, going to, as the one that was going to make the Celtics just absolutely uh, beyond anyone's ability to compete with? And after he was picked and chosen number one, first player taken in the draft, he had a buddy, a friend, who knew that Lenny was going to go out and party and was going to try cocaine, smack or whatever. Do you know that buddy? That I read this in a, in a newspaper. The buddy, instead of telling Lenny, don't do it, the buddy stayed home and didn't go. The buddy didn't tell his friend, hey, don't do that. Don't jeopardize what you have to do that. A real friend will confront when, when we need confronted. A real friend will rebuke us because faithful is their love to us to the degree that they will point out areas in our life where we need to change. High in the mountains in Spain, there is a goat which is the rarest of trophies. He is rarely ever, ever bagged as a big game animal. Do you know why? Because traveling with this goat, this mountain goat, is another goat who stands down on the bottom of the peak crying out whenever an enemy approaches. He warns his comrade, his companion, the other goat. Gentlemen, I want to suggest to you that real friends need to warn one another. We need to trumpet out with a loud voice when we see our friend going astray. Loving someone is not giving them what they want, but what they need. And real friends confront one another. They share with one another the areas of their life where they're going astray. Louis L'Amour, writer of many, many Westerns. I mean, this guy is a prolific writer. Refers to those men in his book that would make good comrades in arms as men who are fit to ride the river. Men who have savvy and salt, loyal to the end, able to fight at any battle, and in the process of fighting, ensure that their comrades will make it through safely. Gentlemen, I want to challenge you to be men who are fit to ride the river with. To be the kind of friend who can take your pal or your buddy or that individual who God gives you as a special friend through life, making not only him successful, but you as well. Let's pray together.